0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان اللعين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين على. عليكم, dear brothers and sisters ورحمة الله وبركاته. I'd like to welcome you all back to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad. So we've been discussing the the aftermath of the Battle of Uhud. And we mentioned that although the Battle of Uhud was not a victory for the Muslims, it was not necessarily a crushing defeat either. Because the pagans, they failed to accomplish their main mission, which was to conduct a surprise attack on Medina. The Prophet وآله, luckily was tipped off. He received intelligence that the, the Meccan army was heading towards Medina and the armies met outside of Medina. Furthermore, you see that the there were no Muslim captives after the Battle of Uhud. The Mushrikeen of Mecca were not able to remove the blockades on the trading routes uh, Going towards Syria So the Battle of Uhud was not necessarily a defeat uh, For the Muslims now. it was definitely not a victory But the pagans essentially did not accomplish what they sought to accomplish Now one of the the notable things that happened after the battle of Uhud is that the Prophet ﷺ marries a woman by the name of Zainab bint Khuzaima. And she was the widow of one of the Prophet's cousins, Ubaida ibn al-Harith, who was one of the, the companions of the Prophet who was martyred in the battle of Badr. Now this woman was a prominent woman. She came from the the Hawazin clan of Amr. And after the Prophet's marriage, the, and of course you could see that many of the Prophet's marriages were essentially political and religious alliances that he was seeking to build. So after marrying Zainab, the chief of her tribe, the chief of her clan, Abu Bara ibn Malik, he requests the Prophet ﷺ to send teachers from Medina to come to his clan to teach them Islam, to preach the Qur'an. And the Prophet ﷺ, he sent 40 men to go to the Hawazin clan of Amr to teach them Islam. Now what happened is that 38 of the 40 men who were sent by the Prophet, they were slaughtered at Mauna by Amr ibn Tufayl, who was a lower-ranking chieftain of one of the local tribes. So it was another uh, tribe that essentially interfered and ended up killing uh, these 38 uh, men who were sent by the Prophet to teach uh, the Hawazin clan of Amr, Islam, and some of the uh, the basics of the faith. Now, Amr ibn Umayyah was the only companion who didn't die in the massacre. So he was among those who were sent. He was one of the teachers. And upon his release, the narrations say that he is misled to believe that the attack was actually instigated by Banu Amr, which is the, the tribe that the Prophet's wife belonged to. And therefore, on his way back, he tries to avenge the deaths of his companions, of his comrades, by killing two men from their tribe. So Amr ibn Umayyah essentially ends up killing the wrong people. He mistakenly assumes that the the perpetrators of the crime were from the the, the the Banu Amr. So news reaches the Prophet that this massacre had taken place. And one of his companions uh, basically uh, avenged the wrong people. So the Prophet وآله, he insisted that blood money should be paid to the innocent victims' families. Now, this, is, this mistake, this slaughter that took place at Birma'una, Ma'una, and the, the mistake that was made by, by Amr ibn Umayyah, eventually led to one of the most important events in the history of Islam, especially in the history of Medina, and that is the banishment of Banu Nadir, which was one of the most prominent tribes in Medina. Now before we speak about uh, what led to the expulsion of Banu Nadir, we we already spoke about the expulsion of uh, Banu Qaynuqa' earlier. So this is now the second major uh, Jewish tribe which will be expelled from Medina. Now, interestingly, when you look at the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 82, He says, in very explicit uh, terms, He says, لَتَجِدَنَّ أَشَدَّ النَّاسِ عَدَاوَةً لِلَّذِينَ آمِنُوا الْيَهُودِ وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, He doesn't mince words, very explicitly tells the Prophet, that you will surely find the most intense of the people in animosity toward the believers to be the Jews, to be the Jews who are living alongside the Muslims in Medina and those who associate others with God. So the most fierce enemies, those who have the greatest animosity towards the Muslims, towards the Prophet and towards the Muslims, are the pagans, the mushrikeen, and the, the Jews of Medina. Now you may ask, why was there so much tension between the Muslims and the the Banu Nadir, the Jews of Banu Nadir? And there are a number of reasons that we uh, and we can summarize them as, as follows. Number one, we have to remember, brothers and sisters, that the Jews religiously. See themselves as the chosen ones of God. And this is even referenced in Surah Al Jumu'ah. إن o Jews, O Bani Israel, if you believe that you are the chosen ones to the exclusion of all other people, then you should yearn for death. You should yearn. To meet your creator. But why is it that you are so obsessed with this material world? Why are you so afraid of death? So they see themselves as the chosen ones. And therefore, Banu Nadir and the Jewish community in general could not accept a Gentile, a non-Jew, as the final messenger of God. That was a pill that was too hard for them to swallow for them from their perspective you know they are the honorable descendants of ibrahim and ishaq and yaqub and to them you know this is the fam- this is the true bloodline of ibrahim and therefore the descendants of isma'il you know they're they're the children of that what they would consider an illegitimate child. They're the children of that slave woman. They're not the children of of Ibrahim and Sarah. And therefore, it was degrading to them to be subservient to a non-Jew. For the Jews to recognize that the final messenger of God, the greatest messenger of God, is a non-Jew. He's a Gentile. This was uh, deemed... Uh, unacceptable to them, and they could not bring themselves to, uh, to acknowledge uh, an Arab, a, a Gentile, as the final messenger of God. Number two, we also find that uh, you know one of the other reasons why there is so much tension between the Muslims and the Banu Nadir is because historically we know that the Banu Nadir they actually conspired to kill some of the Muslims of Ashab al-Sufa. Ashab al-Sufa were those poor Muslims, many of them were homeless who were living in the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ had designated living quarters for, for these destitute believers. And many of them, you know, because they didn't have families, they were able to devote themselves. To the pursuit of knowledge, and many of them uh, developed into into learned scholars. So, the Banu Nadir actually uh, made some attempts to assassinate some of the more learned companions of the Prophet uh, in the form of uh, the the people of Ashab al-Suffa. Number three, we see that uh, Banu Nadir. Also, committed an act of treason against the Prophet and the Muslims, and what they did was that they actually provided logistical support to Quraysh during the Battle of Uhud, and of course, you know, this is a high crime. They were giving the Mushrikeen of Mecca some tips about. The landscape and the geography of Medina. You know what would be a strong military position for them to to uh, place themselves. They provided uh, logistical support to them to the enemies of the Prophet, and that in and of itself is a violation, is a breach of the uh, constitution of Medina, the Medina Charter uh, that they were a part of. Number four, we see that the assassination of kaab ibn al-ashraf and this of course he was assass- he was executed uh, by the order of the prophet because he and he was one of the chieftains of banu nadir and of course as we discussed he was executed because he actually made trips to uh, mecca and recited incendiary poetry to rile up the the mushrikeen against the Prophet, so he actually pr- played a role in threatening the security of the Muslims uh, in Medina by motivating uh, the mushrikeen to fight the Prophet and to fight the Muslim community. So the assassination, the execution of of uh, of Kaab uh, definitely fueled the rage of Banu Nadir, uh towards the Prophet and the Muslims. Now, going back to the, the story where Amr ibn Umayyah accidentally uh, seeks revenge against the wrong group of people, and the Prophet determined that blood money needed to be paid to the, the, family, uh, the families of the victims, now, because Banu Nadir had a pre-existing alliance with Banu Amr, the Prophet ﷺ requested their assistance in play, in uh, in paying blood money for the two men who were killed by Amr ibn Umayyah So, you know, because they were wealthy and because they had a good relationship with with some of these clans, the Prophet wanted to involve them. In, uh, in the discussions and to try to diffuse and quell uh, the, uh, the tensions. So Banu Nadir, they agree they agree to meet the Prophet uh, to discuss the matter. So they invite the Prophet and his companions to their fortress for dinner and over dinner they would discuss uh, the ways in which uh, they could intervene and assist in pay- paying uh, the blood money. So the Prophet ﷺ, along with his companions, they arrive at the fortress which housed the Banu Nadir tribe. Now, as they're waiting to enter, now of course there's a gate. You know, it's a fortress. They're waiting uh, to be escorted into the the fortress. The narrations mention that as the Prophet is waiting outside of the fortress to enter, he receives inspiration. He receives receives inspiration, wahi, that his hosts are planning to kill him by dropping a stone on his head. So the Prophet is standing outside of the gate and of course, it's a fortress and you know it's almost like a castle. Above them there is a, a sort of a balcony and some of the Jews of Banu Nadir they were preparing to, to throw a boulder over and hoping that that boulder would crush the head of the Prophet. So the Prophet وآله, he receives that inspiration that he's about to be killed by his hosts and without saying a single word, without uttering a single word to any of his companions, he immediately leaves. And when the companions see that the Prophet you know, hurriedly uh, takes off, he leaves, they realize that something must have happened, and they depart with the Prophet. Now interestingly, this assassination attempt, Banu Nazir's assassination attempt, is actually mentioned in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Ma'idah verse 11. So some of the narrations that speak about the occasion of the revelation of this verse, it mentions that this is in reference to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saving the Prophet from the hands of uh, Banu Nadir. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah 5 verse 11, O you who believe, remember the favor of Allah upon you. أيديهم أيديهم o you who believe, remember the favor of Allah upon you. When a people determined to extend their hands in aggression against you, but he withheld their hands from you, الله الله But he withheld their hands from you and fear God, and upon God let the believers rely. Now, Ben they they wanted to actually kill the prophet, and the reason is because they wanted to scatter the companions of the Prophet. The Prophet was essentially a magnet that was drawing the muhajireen and the ansar. And they thought that if we destroy this magnetic personality, if we kill the Prophet, the muhajireen are left without a leader. They will go back to their homes in Mecca. And eventually they would be able to re-establish alliances with the Aws and the Khazraj, who were the the oriz- original residents of Medina before Islam, so Banu Nadir basically wanted to go back to the good old days, and the Prophet was a uh, he was a menace to them, he was an obstacle to them, and he was an obstacle that they wanted to eliminate. Now, of course. The Prophet ﷺ is not going to take this assassination attempt lightly. The Prophet ﷺ he sends Muhammad ibn Maslama from the Aus clan, and he was also a former ally of Banu Nadir, and he sends a message through him. So the Prophet sends this emissary to Banu Nadir a letter announcing to them that because of their treachery they are to be banished from medina and the the letter an excerpt of the letter reads inna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa ali so uh, muhammad uh, ibn maslama he says that inna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam arsalani ilaykum yaqulu That muhammad the messenger of god has sent me to you with the following message: إنكم قد نقضتم العهد الذي that you, the Banu Nadir, you have breached the treaty that I enacted with you. بما به من and the the way that you breach this contract is that you you tried to assassinate me. You committed uh, an act of great betrayal. ويقول, and then Muhammad ibn Maslamah says to them that the Prophet announces to you, أُخْرُجُوا مِنْ بَلَدِي, that you have to leave my city. عشرة, and I give you ten days. You have ten days until you have to be, you have to leave. فَمَنْ رُؤِيَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ ضربت عنق. If any of you remain after the expiration of the 10 days, you will be executed, the Prophet says. And of course, this was an act of mercy, that these are people who actually tried to kill him, and the Prophet is allowing them to just leave. He's allowing them to take their belongings and leave, and he's giving them 10 days. You have 10 days to pack up your stuff and leave the city of Medina. Now, after receiving this Threat from Rasulullah, they start to discuss amongst themselves, they start to explore their options. Some of them start to write letters seeking help from their allies. Abdullah ibn Ubay, one of the, the munafiqeen, one of the hypocrites among the Muslims, he writes to Huyay. Ibn Akhtab, who is one of the chiefs of Banu Nadir, and this man, this is the same man who abandoned the Prophet in the battle of Uhud. You know, he's known as the, the chief of the Munafiqin. So this Abdullah ibn Ubay, who was originally supposed to be the king of, of Medina prior to the Prophet's arrival, so you see, this man is always trying to create problems for the Prophet. He actually writes a letter to one of the chiefs of Banu Nadir, encouraging them to stay. The Prophet has given them 10 days to leave, and he's saying that stay and fight. And if you stay and you ignore the order of Muhammad, and if you fight against Muhammad, we will support you. Allahu Akbar. What an act of betrayal. So he says to them, in his letter, he says, لا تخرجوا من دياركم وأموالكم. Abdullah ibn Ubayy he says to one of the chiefs of Banu Nadir, Huyayy ibn Akhtab. He says, "Do not leave your fortress. Do not leave behind all of your wealth. Stay inside of your fortress. I have two thousand men, two thousand soldiers who can support you." and they will enter into your fortress they will be you know a reserve army that you have available and these men I mean look at the exaggeration of of Abdullah ibn anyway he says my men these 2,000 men they would they would rather die than have anyone reach you now of course I don't know what what type of lo- where this loyalty is coming from, but in any case. And then he says, وَتَمُدُّكُمْ That you have no reason to leave. You have no reason to surrender to Muhammad. You also have the support of your uh, the Banu Quraidah, another Jewish tribe. Because they would never fail you. They would never disappoint you. They will. They will assist you. And even some of the the Arab tribes, some of your allies will also support you. Now the Qur'an in Surah Al-Hashr verse 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually mentions the empty promises of Abdullah ibn Ubayy. So this is a, a private correspondence between Abdullah ibn Ubayy and the chiefs of And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exposes it in surah 59 verse 11. Allah says, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ نَافَقُوا يَقُولُونَ لِإِخْوَانِهِمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ لَإِنْ أُخْرِجْتُمْ لَنَخْرُجَنَّ مَعَكُمْ Allah says, have you not considered those who practice hypocrisy, people like Abdullah ibn Ubay, saying to their brothers... Who have disbelieved among the people of the scripture. The Banu Nadia, he says to them, What? If you are expelled, we will surely leave with you. And we will not obey in regard to you. Meaning we will not obey the Prophet regarding what he says about you. And he says, And if you are fought, if Muhammad and his followers fight you, we will surely aid you. And then what does Allah say at the end of the verse? Allah says, But God testifies that they are liars. These are empty promises of Abdullah ibn Ubay. Now, some of the, the Jewish leaders. They could see through the lies of Abdullah ibn Ubay. So many of the, the Jewish leaders of Banu Nazir, they favored surrendering and accepting banishment. They said, you know, we, we tried to assassinate Muhammad. How do you expect us to continue living in this city? That Let's just leave. He's allowing us to leave. He's not, he's not going to execute us for what we did. So let's just accept defeat and leave. But of course, Huyay ibn Akhtab, he was taken, he was affected and influenced by the promises of Abdullah ibn Ubayy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again, in Surah Al-Hashr verse 14, He speaks about the, the disagreement, the fighting among the Jews themselves. The disagreements, the disputes that they were having about what course of action to take. Should they remain and resist banishment or should they surrender to the Prophet? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Surah 59, verse 14, La yuqatilunakum jami'an illa Quran muhasana. They will not fight you all except within fortified cities. They're afraid of you. They're afraid of the Prophet and the Muslim. They will only fight with you from inside their fortress. جدر, or from behind walls. Allah says, You think, He says, their fighting among themselves is severe. You know, and this is an important lesson for us, brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes we have this impression that the enemies of Islam are so united. But in most cases, brothers and sisters, the fighting amongst themselves is severe. You think, Allah says, you think they are together. You think they, that they are united. But their hearts are disunited. People who are vying for power, for dunya, it's impossible that they have true unity. True unity, true altruism only exists among the, the believers. وَقُلُوبُهُمْ شَتَّىٰ ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ So Huyay ibn Akhtab, one of the, the chiefs of Banu Nadir he sends his brother, so he makes the final decision, you know he's uh, you know, the highest in the chain of command among the Banu Nadir he sends his brother to deliver the following message to the Prophet. Of course, he's taken by, the, he thinks that he's going to have the support from Abdullah ibn Ubay. And he says to the Prophet, He says, We will not evacuate our homes, nor will we leave behind our wealth. So do as you wish. The Prophet they tried to assassinate the Prophet. The Prophet said, you have 10 days to, to leave, to evacuate Medina. So not only do they breach their treaty with the Prophet, not only do they try to assassinate the Prophet, when the Prophet simply asks them to leave because their presence is a security risk for Islam and for the Muslims, they refuse to leave. And they say, do whatever you wish to do, do whatever you want. So the Prophet ﷺ is now left without any choice. He assembles an army and he encircles the fortress of Banu Nadir. And a 15-day blockade begins. And there are military attacks that go back and forth. Historical accounts mention that an arrow was shot by a Jew named Azuk, which hit the Prophet's tent. So the Prophet had a tent stationed outside of the fortress. So this was again another direct attack on the Prophet. Now, Amir al muminin Ali ibn Abi Talib was lying in wait for Azuk, for that archer who, shot, who attempted to shoot the Prophet. Amir al muminin ambushed him and he severed his head and brought it to the Prophet. And then of course, Amir al muminin then takes a small force to kill all of the other soldiers who were surrounding Azuq. Now, the fortress of Banu Nazir was on a very rich plot of land. Some of the best farmland was surrounding the fortress of Banu Nazir. And they had beautiful date palms. And the Prophet, وآله, to humiliate them and to force them to surrender, Rasulullah ordered that some of the best date palms of Banu Nadir were to be chopped down. So, this was, way, and of course, you know, it takes a lot of work, a lot of manual labor to, to develop and to grow these date palms. So it was very painful for them to see that their, their best date palms were being chopped to the ground. And the Prophet, he had to do this to force them uh, to surrender. Now, they finally agree to leave as the Prophet ﷺ had ordered. But because they resisted, because they did not leave voluntarily and they actually put up a fight, the Prophet ﷺ, now he makes the terms of their banishment more severe. So, earlier, so before they resisted, the Prophet said, You have 10 days, take everything, even your weapons. Take 10, you have 10 days to gather all of your belongings and leave, leave peacefully. No one is going to harm you. You betrayed me. You breached the treaty that I had with you. I'm going to allow you to leave. But since they didn't leave, and they launched an attack on the Prophet, and they resisted, and they were stubborn, the Prophet says, now you leave, but you're not allowed to take any weapons. And of course this is understandable, because these are, uh, these are hostile enemies. So he doesn't allow them to take any weapons. And he allows each person to only take one camel load of their belongings. Whatever you can load on one camel is what you take. Everything else is to be left behind. Now, many of the O's, some of the Muslims who had you know long-standing friendships with these people, some of them felt their hearts go out to the Banu Aliel. You know, when they saw them, you know, humiliated and leaving medina on the on their camels taking the little that they could gather some of the oaths they felt sorry uh for the uh the banu Nadir. so the banu Nadir they they emigrate three people to a camel and they go towards uh the fortress of khaybar and then inshallah eventually we'll speak about the uh, the battle of khaybar now in terms of the spoils so they left behind they took uh They left behind uh, weapons. But mainly, you know, what was very painful for them was that they had to leave behind uh, the rich agriculture. They had to leave behind the date orchards uh, that they had cultivated for many, many years and many generations. And since this fortress uh, was acquired without an official battle, you know, there were some skirmishes here and there, but there was no real uh, battle that took place. It was surrender to the Prophet. It is considered the fate of the Prophet. So it's, there's no war booty. And hence, the fortress and everything that is within it and the land is not subject to Khums. It literally is the property of the Prophet. And the Prophet is to distribute it uh, in a way that he sees fit. So the Prophet kept some for himself, some for his family. And he gave a large portion of the wealth that was in that fortress to the Muhajireen to reduce their burden on the Ansar. Because many of the Muhajireen, they were poor. You know They had left behind everything in Mecca when they came on the Hijrah. And many of the families of the Ansar were financially supporting the Muhajireen. So the majority of the, the resources that were acquired from Banu Nadir, from their fortress and their land, was given to the the poor among the Ansar. Now, expelling Banu Nadir, obviously, it increased the security of Medina. Banu Nadir, they were a security threat to the Prophet and to the Muslims. And for a long time, Quraysh, the pagans of Mecca, they were depending on Banu Nadir to be their eyes and their ears on the Prophet and his followers. So they were essentially acting as spies for the Mushrikeen. And therefore their banishment created a more safe and stable uh, Medina for the Prophet and the Muslims. Now some of the Nadir leaders who went to Khaybar, They later become uh, instrumental in fomenting the Jews against Medina in the Battle of Ahzab. And inshallah, we'll speak about that uh, in due time. When you look at the the Qur'an, you find that Surah Al-Hashr, Surah 59, the revelation of this entire Surah is directly related to the banishment of Banu Nadir. So for example, in the second verse of Surah Al-Hashr, Surah 59 verse 2, Allah says, Huwa allathe min min It is He who expelled the ones who disbelieved among the people of the, of the Scripture from their homes at the first gathering, at the first Hashr. And this uh, seems to uh, foreshadow that this is not going to be uh, the first time that these people are banished from uh, from Medina, because these same leaders, when they leave Medina, they join the fortress of Khaybar, and then later on they will be banished uh, from from Khaybar. So here the the Quran foreshadows that this is a first banishment. This is a first gathering where they're banished, and then there will be. Others to come. And then the Quran says, Wa min Allah. Allah says, You did not think they would leave, and they thought that their fortresses would protect them from God. The Jews of Medina thought that they were secure. They never thought in a million years that they would be overpowered. ...by the Prophet, and they would be banished from a land that they lived for many, many generations. But they were eventually expelled for their treason. But the decree of God came upon them from where they had not expected. They didn't, the last thing they expected was to be expelled by Muhammad and his followers. They felt that they were a superpower, they had wealth... They had, they had all of the resources. They thought that Muhammad is not going to last. They thought that they would remain there powerful and they would not have anyone to, uh, to expel them. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed them from where they did not expect. وَقَذَفَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمُ الرُّعْبِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cast terror into their hearts. They were, so, they were terrified of the Prophet and the Muslims. يُخْرِبُونَ بُيُوتَهُمْ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ وَأَيْدِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So they destroyed their houses by their own hands. When they realized that they were being banished, they were destroying parts of the fortress with their own hands. What they had built with their own hands, Allah made them destroy it with their own hands. So take warning... O people of vision. وَلَوْلَا In verse number 3 and 4 of Surah al Hash, وَلَوْلَا أَن كَتَبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْجَلَاءُ لَعَذَّبَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَلَهُمْ فِي And if not that God had decreed for them evacuation, He would have punished them in this world, and for them in the hereafter is the punishment of the fire. So as I mentioned earlier, the fact that they were only banished was a great act of mercy from the Prophet Anyone else, if it was anyone else, they would be executed for treason. But the Prophet and it was the decree of Allah, that they were simply expelled from Medina. And why were they expelled? They were not expelled because they were Jews. This was not something. This is this was the Prophet wasn't being anti-Semitic. The Prophet وآله, was removing people who were committing treason, who, who breached uh, the, the terms of their treaty. ذلك, ذلك it's because they opposed God and His Messenger. وَمَنْ يُشَاقِ اللَّهَ فَإِنَّ الله شديد العقاب And whoever opposes God, then indeed God is severe in penalty. And then Allah says in the fifth verse, Whatever you have cut down of their palm trees or left standing on their trunks, it was by the permission of God. You know, some of the Muslims did not understand what is the wisdom behind cutting down these palm trees. If they're going to surrender, why are we... Cutting down these palm trees, we're gonna benefit from them. But this was done through the permission of God, by the decree, by the decree of Allah. Why? Because Allah wanted to disgrace them for their arrogance and for their disobedience. Verse number six. So because the fortress of Banu Nadir was surrendered without fighting, it becomes the property of the Messenger of God. And what God granted to His Messenger from them, from Banu Nadir, you did not spur for it in an expedition, any horses or camels. There was no fighting. There was no military uh, uh, a confrontation but God gives his messengers power over whom he wills Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this case he gives financial power to his prophet and God is over all things competent and then the seventh verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says as for what was granted by Allah to his messenger from the people of other lands from Banu Nadir they are for God and the messenger his close relatives. So here Allah now speaks about how the the resources, how the wealth from the fortress of Banu Nadir is to be distributed. It's for Allah, for His Messenger, for His close relatives, the Ahlul Bayt, the orphans, the poor, and the needy travelers, so that wealth may not merely circulate among your rich. One of the aims of the Sharia is that wealth should not be concentrated with the 1%. This is one of the, the aims of the Sharia, to have fair distribution of wealth. Whatever the Messenger gives you, take it. Now, of course, there might be some among the Muslims who are not happy about how the Prophet is distributing this wealth. Allah reminds the Muslims, whatever the Prophet gives you, take it. And whatever he forbids you from, leave it. Now this applies to the distribution of the wealth from Banu Nadir, but this is also a general principle. There should be complete submission to the decree of the Prophet. Surely God is severe in punishment. Now who does the Prophet give much of the, the wealth to? For the poor immigrants, for the poor muhajirin. Who were expelled from their homes and their properties? Why were they expelled? They were seeking the approval of Allah and they were supporting God and His Messenger. So here, look at this beautiful Sunnah of Allah. The Muhajirin, they gave up their wealth in Mecca for the sake of Allah, and look at how Allah. Repays them. He pays them back in dunya for their, uh, for their sacrifice. And this is a verse where Allah praises uh, the believers among the Ansar. As for those who had settled in the city and embraced the faith before the arrival of the Muhajirin, meaning the Ansar, they love whoever immigrates to them. The Ansar, they did not begrudgingly welcome the muhajireen. وَلَا يَجِدُونَ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ حَاجَةً مما أوتوا. Allah says, never having a desire in their hearts for whatever of the gains is given to the, the muhajireen. The Ansar did not feel, many of the believers among them, did not feel anything in their hearts when the Prophet would give the In fact, the muhajirin they would give preference to the the, the... the ansar would give preference to the muhajirin over themselves, even though they may be in need. And then Allah says, Any person who is able to overcome... The selfishness of their own souls. Indeed, such people are truly successful. So here, Allah praises the altruism of the mu'minin among the the ansa. Well, and then verse number ten: وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِن بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا غَفِر لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا لِلَّذِينَ إِنَّكَ رَؤُوفٌ الرحيم. And there is a share. Now you may say that okay, we weren't with them. Is, is it possible to share in the thawab of those who made those sacrifices alongside the Prophet? The answer is yes. We can do it through dua by saying, O oh Allah, O oh our Lord, forgive us and our brothers who preceded us in faith. You know, the Qur'an teaches us not only to pray for ourselves, not only to pray for the believers who are living during our time. Pray for the Mu'minin, who are your predecessors, who paved the way, who preserved Islam for you, and who passed on this faith to you. Pray for them. And do not put in our hearts any resentment towards those who believed. Our Lord, indeed, You are kind and merciful. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 11, as we discuss the, the empty promises of Abdullah ibn Ubay, Have you, O Prophet, not seen the hypocrites? Here, hypocrites is a, as a reference to Abdullah ibn Ubay. <laughs> If you are expelled, we will certainly leave with you. This is what Abdullah ibn Ubay was telling the, the Jews of Banu Nadir. And we will never obey anyone against you. And if you are fought against, we will surely help you. And then Allah, as we mentioned earlier, Allah says they are speaking nothing but lies. And then verse number 12, Allah says, (laughs) أُخْرِجُوا لَا يَخْرُجُونَ مَعَهُمْ قُوتِلُوا لَا يَنصُرُونَهُمْ نَصَرُوهُمْ لَيُوَلُّنَّ الْأَدْبَارَ ثُمَّ لَا يُنصَرُونَ Allah says, if they are expelled, they will not leave with them. Abdullah ibn Ubay, he's making empty promises. He will not leave with them. And if they are fought, they will not aid them. Abdullah ibn Ubayy, these munafiqin, they're not going to help the Jews of Banu Nadir. And even if they should aid them, they will surely turn their backs. They're cowards. They, they, they didn't fight with the Prophet in Medina. They're cowards. They're going to fight with the Jews of Banu Nadir. They abandoned the Prophet in Uhud. They will surely turn their backs and therefore they will not be aided. لا verse number thirteen and fourteen. أشد في صدورهم من الله. Indeed there is more fear in their hearts for you, the believers, than for God. بنون They are more afraid of you than they are afraid of Allah. بأنهم قوم لا Because these are people who have no understanding. لا يقاتلونكم جميعا إلا في محصنة أو من وراء جدر. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the infighting between the Jews. That you know, even united, they would not dare fight against you, except from within fortified strongholds or from behind walls. Their malice for each other is intense. You think that they are united, yet their hearts are divided. Again, this is a direct reference to the infighting between. The Banu Nadir, when they were trying to decide, you know, should we surrender and leave, or should we stay in Medina and fight? Verse number fifteen and sixteen: <laughs> They are like those who recently went down before them. You know, Banu Qainuka. You know, their their cousins were banished. They tasted the evil consequences of their doings. وَبَالَ أَمْرِهِمْ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ كَمَثَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ إِذْ قَالَ لِلْإِنْسَانِ اكْفُرْ فَلَمَّا كَفَرَ قَالَ إِنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِنْكَ إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ THEY ARE LIKE SATAN YOU KNOW SO HERE ALLAH IS likening ABDULLAH IBN UBAY THAT MUNAFIQ WITH THOSE EMPTY PROMISES HE likens HIM TO SHAYTAN WHY BECAUSE SHAYTAN ALSO MAKES EMPTY PROMISES WHEN HE LURES SOMEONE TO DISBELIEVE then after they have done so, he will say on the day of judgment, I have absolutely nothing to do with you. This was the same tactic of Abdullah ibn Ubayy. He'll encourage you to fight. He'll make false promises, but when you need him, he will abandon you. And this is exactly what shaitan does. He lures you, and then when you accept his invitation, he eventually abandons you. So this was a little bit about the banishment of uh, the tribe of Banu Nadir. And inshallah, in our next episode, we'll speak about some of the uh, the events that took place after the banishment of the tribe of Banu Nadir. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for tuning in. And I look forward to having you join me on upcoming episodes of the life of Prophet Muhammad. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.